listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. of you would admit, if you were honest with yourself, that when it comes to some of your attitudes and actions towards money, that it demonstrates you've at times bought into this lie. My money is for me. My money is for me. Today, we're in part two of a two-week emphasis on money and the lies that we believe about money. And last week we talked about this lie that we tend to fall into, which is money will solve my problems. And we saw last week, actually that leads us to fear, fret, and hoard. And the results are often discontentment and destruction. So that was last week. And today we come to a second lie. And this lie, as it relates to money, seems to be one that's increasingly taking hold, especially among Christians among believers, among people who are in the church, which means like if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you just, you know, someone invited you and you came today, uh, which actually already this sermon is like one of your worst fears. Uh, it's okay because you can actually check out right now. I'm really talking to believers, Christians, the church today. And there's a specific reason for that, but there's a lie that we've been buying into money. And it, there's some indicators that that's happening, especially among believers all throughout America. And one of those indicators I would say is this, that even though Christians are the most generous people on the planet statistically, that is statistically true. Believers, Christians, they're the most generous people on the planet. That if you look at what they actually give to charity or to kingdom work, they average 2.5% of their income. And the question would be, why so low when like the baseline of God's standard was much higher than that. Why is it that in 2013, going back, you know, a little over 10 years ago, it was revealed that tithing had decreased in America almost every year for the past three decades. And the percentage then was lower than it was in 1933. And you know what was going on in 1933? The Great Depression. One study calculated that if all church members just lost their jobs and went on welfare, and just tithe from their welfare payments, giving would increase by 35%. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying if you were to do that, that's the result. According to Overflow, only 5 to 10% of church attendees, when they've done some research, only 5 to 10% of church attendees tithe. But those who do tithe, a significant number, 77% of them, give above the tithe and contribute significantly. There is some encouragement when it comes to the next generation, like the millennials, 90% of millennials, which are 27 to the age of 42. They consider charitable giving to be an essential part of living their lives. So they value it. But at the same time, in 2022, the number of givers in America has plummeted from 66% 20 years ago to below 50% today. And so somehow... Somewhere along the line, when it comes to believers, when it comes to Christians, those of us inside the church, somehow we have bought into this lie that, that my money is for me. Money is for me. 
And today what I want to do is I want us to look at a godly, healthy theology when it comes to money, when it comes to giving. And, and just acknowledge this. Look, when, when we talk about money, anytime we talk about money, there's all kinds of emotions. And, and when we talk about it at church, there's different emotions that start hitting people. I mean, one is this. One is cynicism. Like, you know, you're like, there we go again. All the church wants is your money. And so sometimes there's this cynicism towards it. Like, here we go. And, and you can't trust churches. You know, there's cynicism towards that. Somebody knows a pastor who maybe they, they live in a man, fancy mansion and they wear fancy shoes and, you know, they go around taking money. You can't trust them. And so cynicism can be one of those emotions. Here's another one. It's fear. Fear. I mean, I already got debt and loans and I already can, can hardly can't make ends meet. And I'm already stressing to be able to make and provide for my family. And, and I fear that if I were to give to God, I wouldn't be able to make it in this life. There's guilt. There's guilt. And so you just feel like the last thing I need is someone putting more guilt on me today. I already feel guilty about other things. I already felt guilty. I haven't given as much as I should. And today, I, that's the last thing I need. And I don't want any guilt. And maybe there's even a fear that we'll start heaping guilt, that that'll be a motive for giving, which, believe me, it won't be. And then you have some people, like we start talking about this topic, and they kind of lean forward on the edge of their seat. There's like intrigue. They're intrigued because they want a healthy perspective on money. They want to make wise decisions about money. They want to honor God with money. And they've got legitimate questions about it. Like, how does the Old Testament connect and with the New Testament? And tithe was like this starting point in the Old Testament. But they gave more than the tithe. And then in the New Testament, we seem to have this generous spirit. And how does that dovetail and fit together? And what does that look like? And I want to live under the blessing of God. What does it look like to live under the blessing of God so I'm not a slave and in bondage to my resources? And so some people are intrigued by it, believe it or not. There's some. And then for some, it's joy. Like you start talking about giving and there's an excitement because they've already had those experiences where they've become rich toward God and where they, they give to kingdom impact and kingdom causes. And they see what we can do collectively together that we can't do individually by ourselves. And they've seen the impact of what it does and what it accomplishes. And you start to talk about it. It's like, they're like, man, what's next? What's, what's something we can be a part of? And they actually get joy out of it. There are mixed emotions when it comes to talking about money in the church. And I guess if we're honest, probably some of those emotions are, are a bigger reflection of our own heart than they actually are on the church or anyone else who's preaching that day. But the question would be, why do we address money? Like, why do this? Why put ourselves through it? John Tyson, who's a senior pastor with the Church of the City in New York, he gives a couple reasons why we, we ought to talk about this. And I want to share these with you. Here's the first one. He says, because giving is central and not incidental to your spiritual formation. Like, that's why we talk about it. Giving is central, not incidental, to your spiritual formation. Like, giving is not God's way of raising money. It's just not. It's His way of making us into the image of His Son. There is something that happens in us spiritually when we connect with God through the grace of giving. Secondly, he says this. The reason we talk about it is you can't be a mature Christian without a robust theology of money and a life of radical generosity. Like we're not justified by giving, we're justified by grace. 
But when it comes to our maturity in the faith and partnering with God in significant ways, we've got to have a good theology of money and being generous. And Scripture reveals that over and over. We'll get to that in a minute. And then the third reason is this, and I'm adding this one, is that the love of money is destructive to our souls. That's why we talk about these lies. Because the, the evil one plants these deceptive ideas, one of which is the love of money. The money is for me, and that kind of a lie leads to the destruction of our souls. And there's lots of examples in Scripture of that. Like Achan's love of money in the days of Joshua that brought disaster on himself, his family, and his nation. Or Balaam's love of money that led him to bring curses against God's people. Or Delilah's love of money that led her to betray Samson, and in so doing, it actually led to the death of thousands. Or Judas's love of money, which led him not only to help himself to the purse, but it led him to betray our Savior, Jesus Christ. Or Judas's, or I said that, uh, Ananias and Sapphira's love of money, which led them to lie about their giving. And in so doing, they received execution from God because of their deceitfulness. Or the rich young ruler's love for money, that on the surface just led everyone else to think he had the blessing of God and he was a man of influence and he had great wealth. But when Jesus looked at him, he saw someone who was a slave in bondage to money. There was an idol in his heart and Jesus knew what it was. It was money. And so because of that, when that man asked Jesus what he needed to do for eternal life and Jesus told him, you need to get rid of the idol in your heart. You need to sell all you have and come follow me. What a great invitation from Jesus. There's not a lot of people that just personally, one-on-one, he's like, follow me. There's even some people, he's like, don't follow me. Go back to your family. Go there. But he says, follow me. I mean, this guy had an opportunity maybe to be among the apostles and see what Jesus was doing there. I mean, the Chosen's playing right now, season four. You might want to go see it. There's some awesome things when it happens. When you're following Jesus, this man missed out on it all because the text says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He loved money. And he believed money was his for him. And in so doing, he walked away from the Savior of the world. I don't know if he ever repented of that and came back to Jesus. But literally, money destroyed his soul. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, Some eager for money, they've wandered away from the faith. You may need salvation, not just from your sin, but from your money. Jesus even told a parable talking about people who had their hearts were like soil with weeds in it. And when the gospel began to sprout, the weeds came up and choked it out. And what were the weeds, Jesus said in Matthew? He said, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. That is the definition of the weeds. Deceitfulness of wealth. It's deceitful. It lies to you. And if you buy into those lies, it can have a devastating, destructive effect on your very soul. It's why we talk about it. And if you're deceived, then you're also defensive. And if you're defensive, your defensiveness around money reveals idolatry that you have for money. That's why we talk about it. It's that important. It can be a salvation issue. When we believe the lie... My money is for me. We quickly spiral downward in multitude of sins. In fact, I'm going to talk about a few of those right now. Like number one, we usurp God's authority in our life. Malachi 1.14 is an example of this. 
where God says in defense of his people when they, they refuse to give to him first. And he says to them, this is his defense, I am a great king. <laughs> like I am the great king, the almighty God of the entire universe, worthy of everything that you would offer me in worship and praise. It's like they don't even know who he is. He was not their first. He was, he was really not even their second. He fell far down the list and it revealed their heart. Their first was their possessions, the resources, what they had. God was far away. It's why in Proverbs 30, 8 through 9, there was this, this individual who makes this prayer, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of of the Lord. This person is wise enough just to know that if I have too much, I might think this came from my hand. This was due to my doing. And I, therefore, I, they're not going to give God the glory that is due him. And of course, the opposite would be true. They'll be tempted to steal if they can't provide for their needs. So God, just give us our daily bread. That's, there's, there are the sins of, of ignoring God and not giving him the glory that's due him. And we don't have a good understanding of money. Number two is this. We give God the leftovers. That's another way we spiral into sin. We give God the leftovers. We don't give God our best. In Malachi 1.13, people were actually bringing their injured, crippled, lame, blind, and diseased animals to God for worship. That was their sacrifice they brought that morning. And God says, should my hands receive this? What kind of gift is this? Did God want that gift? Absolutely not. He's like, quit lighting useless fires on my altars. This isn't, this isn't relationship. God's not wanting you just to give more to him in that way. It was in contrast to what King Hezekiah did in 2 Chronicles 3.15, where he became the example, leading the way, turning the nation back to the Lord and reinstating the sacrifices and things at the temple. And he calls on the people to give generously. But here's how he says, give generously of the first fruits. Let's come back to what God commanded us. Let's give the first fruits, the first of what we receive to God, of your grain, your new wine, your olive oil, and your honey, and all that the fields produce. It says they tithe everything. And in so doing, everything was supplied. They had more than enough. They had everything they needed to carry out the work in the ministry because people tithe everything. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, which is our memory verse for this week that you'll be challenged to memorize is this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Blessing is found. And blessing comes in its various forms. That doesn't always mean monetarily. But the blessing of God comes to those who give to him first. The first fruits of what we have, not the leftovers, not something else. So the sin is we give God the leftovers. That's what happens when we buy into this lie. Money's for me. But here's a third thing that happens. We neglect personal responsibility to share with those in need. Instead, we deflect generosity to organizations and the government. And we'll let them take care of these kinds of things, which is in contrast to what Ephesians says. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, when it says, anyone who's stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful with your hands. Why? So that you might share with those in need. In other words, when we work, we don't just work to create 
and to produce and, and to be like our creator in, in producing and creating good things. And, and we don't just work to provide for our own needs. He says we, we do it so that we might have something to share. We can actually share with those in needs. This is what God is calling us to do, to be, be people who are open-handed and generous with us so we can help meet needs. And so we work in that way. But people who believe the lie, my money's for me, they neglect personal responsibility. They don't share spontaneously. But if we have a healthy biblical theology of what this looks like, we, will, we have a totally different attitude and response with money. In fact, I want us to look at a good one. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have a Bible or device, if you would open up right now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to get into this text together. And while you're opening up to 2 Corinthians 8, I'm going to share a little context to what's happening here. Because what's happening is uh, sometime earlier, Paul had come to Corinth and he had told the Corinthians about the plight of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. All of those house churches in Jerusalem, those believers were struggling and they were impoverished in significant ways for a few reasons. One was because they were ostracized by their society as Christians. That put a a, a very hardship of wealth upon them. The second reason was because there was overpopulation and not only that, but there was a famine in AD 46. That added to the stress of these believers in that area. And then when you add on to that, the twofold taxation of Rome and the Jews, both taxing the people, they they just had this incredible burden that they were under. And when Paul shared that with the Corinthian believers, they heard about what was happening there. And the Corinthians were like, we want to do something about that. We want to give to that. They kind of led the way, the charge to say, we want to give to help those believers there. Which for Paul, not only thrilled him because they were being generous and sharing, showing the heart of Jesus in this, but because of the unity that was on display that these Gentile Christians in Corinth were helping these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, Gentiles and Jews who did not get along coming under the the umbrella of the gospel in unity together. It was a beautiful expression of the love of Jesus and how he changes us and he brings us together. So Paul was thrilled about this. But now it's been a year and Paul is traveling from Achaia there in Corinth, Achaia, north to Macedonia. And he's going to these churches that you see on this map, like Philippi and Thessalonica and the Bereans up there in the north. And as he goes into Macedonia, an area that's been devastated by war and poverty, they too have their own needs that are probably greater of that than the Corinthians. And Paul is saying when, when he told them about the Corinthians and what they were doing, they were inspired. They're like, we want in on this. We want to give. And he's like, out of their extreme poverty... They gave generously, and they too are giving to this work. And now, Paul is writing this letter back to Corinth, and he's realizing that Corinth started, but they didn't finish the work. They didn't keep collecting the offerings to give to the Christians there. Like, it's incomplete. And he has this concern. He's inspired the Macedonians with what they were doing, and now they're not finishing it or coming to fruition with it. And he's like, that's going to be embarrassing if he was those from Macedonia come back to Corinth and they haven't done it yet. And the Macedonians have given generously this. That could be a little awkward, a little uncomfortable. And so now he's going to reverse the inspiration. He's going to inspire the Corinthians with what the Macedonians did. So the Corinthians are like, man, that's awesome. We want to give like that. It's contagious. Generosity is contagious. And he wanted them to see the good work. He's not going to guilt them into it. He's going to inspire them. 
by what's happening. And so we're going to read it. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 9, verse 11. Here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of, their, of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Now here's a couple observations that John Tyson makes of of what Paul says here that I want to point out as well. Here's what Paul wants from us, and he's wanting from the Corinthians. Paul wants us to have a vision, a vision for being good at giving. He wants us to have a vision for being good at giving. He says, just as you excel in everything, faith, love, speech, life, all this stuff you're excelling in, faithfulness, also excel in the grace of giving. Because if you excel in the grace of giving, you're going to look more like Jesus than you ever have before. And you're going to experience a relationship with God you've never had before because it's about relationship. It's about blessing. It's about service and partnership in ministry. It's making grace tangible to people who are in need. This is what He would love for us to see most people, most people, when they come to faith, when they come to Jesus today, we had a powerful moment of that. Ricky was baptized today. He was at kingdom in conference with us. An incredible story that I'd love to share with you guys someday, but it's just, it was just amazing to see what God's doing there. And oftentimes with a new believer, we will, you know, we'll talk to him about what it looks like to pray and to read scripture and to abide with Jesus and do some important things. But how often in that moment do we teach them right then and there how to have a heart that's liberated from the love of money so that you can be good at giving. And yet this is what Paul's heart is, that they would grow in the grace of giving, that they would reach their full potential, and they'd experience the spiritual formation that God wants to do in their hearts. He's like, excel in this. Let's grow in this. And then he says this, number two, he, he provides them a kingdom view of giving. Like there's a kingdom economy that's unlike any economy in this world. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then also to us. Like whenever you give, whether it's to a person, to a church, to an organization, whenever you give, you're giving yourself first to the Lord. It's for the kingdom. It's for that relationship with God and see it that way. You're giving yourself first to the Lord. You're participating in kingdom work. Tyson says there's three primary ways people view economic systems in the world. And whenever you look at economic systems in the world, you get different things and mixed economies and other things. But he talks about three. He says there's uh, capitalism, communism, and then there's uh, kingdom of God. You can say Christianity, three C's. Uh, and th- so capitalism says, whose money is it? Well, it's primary. It's your money and you can do what you want with it. 
That's what capitalism would say. Communism would say, whose money is it? Uh, it's, it's the people's, it's the government's. You must do what the community needs, what the government says you can do with it. Christianity says, whose money is it? It's the Lord's. And you must use it as He directs it. Like it's His. That's a totally different economy. That's, that's, a, that's seeing things that the rich young ruler didn't see. He could have turned his earthly portfolio into a heavenly portfolio, but he didn't have that mindset because he didn't have a kingdom mentality. He wanted what he could hold on to for the here and now. Three different approaches. Christianity, fundamentally different system. And if your vision for money is not any different than the people of this world, I mean, ultimately, if your goal for money is that you, you, you know, retire rich and, and you can, you know, go after the things you, you want with, with clothes and food and, and drink and you can have what you want and wear what you want and just be at ease, that's not enough. That's not kingdom mentality. And it's a delusion even to think that, that we give God 10% and the rest is ours. When the Bible teaches in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's everything is His. It's not so much like how much am I going to give to God. It's more like how much of God's am I going to keep? It's His. He's King and Lord of it all. I'm the great King, He says. It's all His in the first place. So let's give God, give to God as He directs. And then the third thing that we want to pick up from Paul here is this. Paul gives us a motive forgiving that is modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. He, he gives us a motive forgiving that is modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. And the way he says it in verse 9 is that the grace of Jesus, though he was rich, you know the grace of Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. And it's not, that's not talking about a monetary richness. It's, it's, it's all the riches that Christ gives us, all the promises that are fully ours in him. Every blessing that he gives is ours. Jesus came so that he could give of himself. He's your motive and he's your model. He's your motive for giving. And he's saying the Macedonians, they saw this. They saw this. Jesus is that model. We want to give like he gives. We're, we're trying to become a new creation in his image. So we want to give like that so we can be like that. That's the motive, the grace of God, not something else. I don't know how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have ever been to one of those timeshare presentations or one of those things where they invite you to come and, and you get the free vacation, but then you have to sit through something. And I've never actually sat through one of those. I've been invited to, never done it. I've heard from some people who have done it, and I've heard from some people who do it like consistently anytime they can. They're like, I have no problem saying no at the end and getting whatever free uh, services they can get. But uh, apparently when you go there, it's a pretty hard sell. And they appeal to the emotions, and sometimes you're sitting there, and, and it gets to the point where you're like, I'd be stupid not to do this. Like, what am I... Like, what am I thinking? And, and then you start taking steps you shouldn't take or you feel kind of guilted into it when you do it. Notice in 2 Corinthians 8 that we read, Paul does not, he does not give a hard sell like that. He's not appealing to their pride or their jealousy. He's not guilting them. Instead, he just uses Jesus as a model, knowing that these are people whose hearts are under the new covenant. Their, their hearts have been shaped and molded by Jesus, and they want to be like him and follow him, and they have his heart in them. And so here's what I want you to know. Giving unto guilt is sporadic and reactive. It's sporadic and reactive. 
Giving unto guilt is sporadic. It's reactive. It is not a motive that God wants you to use for your giving. How much do I have to give to feel better about myself? If that's your thought process when you give, I think scripture would say, don't do it. Like, stop. He doesn't, it's, it's about relationship with Jesus. It's not about guilt. But giving unto grace is strategic and it's proactive. It's strategic and it's proactive. When we're giving because of the motive of grace, the grace of God in our lives, how do I leverage what God has given me for kingdom and for the gospel? And, and how do I become rich toward God? And, and how do I live for something beyond myself in the here and now? And how can I begin to see eternity from a kingdom economy instead of a worldly economy? Giving by grace, it changes things. Giving like Jesus is not, I have to, but it's a get to. That's why in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, no one should give reluctantly or under compulsion. Like if you feel like you're giving today reluctantly or out of guilt and you really don't want to, then don't. God doesn't want it. You're not giving because he wants to have a fundraising campaign. Instead, we're to give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Why? It's because it's about relationship with him. He wants hilarious givers, people who give joyfully to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul says their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. It was from a place of joy that these Macedonians gave to the Lord. It was joyful to see what God was going to do with it. It was joyful that they could help someone else, brothers and sisters in another part of the world that they didn't even know by name, but they knew they were in need. And they could contribute to that and help meet that need. And that's why Jesus would say it's more blessed to give than to receive because there's a great joy that comes from that. And when God is doing something in the world, he is going to use people who fund that kind of work. You get to be a part of kingdom work in partnership with God, in fellowship with him to grow the kingdom. There's some examples of this that we see. Like, have you ever wondered, how did Jesus fund his ministry? He was constantly traveling. He was constantly going places. He was moving about. Who was funding that? How did they have the funds for food or for other things? Well, John Tyson points this out. He, he takes us to Luke chapter 8, 1 through 3, where the text says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as also were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Oh, Susanna. That's where it comes from, right there, from that text. So Jesus' ministry was funded by women. They were giving to the work, supporting the work. His preaching... His tour through Galilee. The whole thing happened. It was brought to you by Susanna and many others. You had Phoebe. She was the deaconess and the patron that the Apostle Paul sends the letter of Romans to the believers in Rome. Patron meaning she supported his ministry. She gave to that work. Funded by... Her partnership. Like this is, God uses what people give to advance kingdom in all kinds of parts of our world in significant ways. Just when we're faithful to the Lord. 
And sometimes we wonder, why is the church not making greater inroads? Sometimes it's because we've not been faithful and we've bought into a lie. My money's for me. As we've already covered, it's not my money and it's not for me. Not in the kingdom economy. Kingdom-minded people give to kingdom work. Like Lady Huntington. She was a, a wealthy woman in London who, when he was very young, came across George Whitfield. George Whitfield, that great preacher who preached to over 10 million people, contributed to the Second Great Awakening in America. And it was actually Lady Huntington that helped that awakening happen for over 20 years in our country. Because she was this wealthy woman from London who saw Whitfield preaching to the masses and to those who were poor and saw the preaching of the gospel and the outcome of that. And she's going, among all my rich friends, I don't have anybody that's turning to the Lord. So she went to Whitfield and said, I'm going to host a salon, invite everybody to come, and you're going to, I want you to come preach. And she was going to support him financially for his preaching and his work. He went to that gathering full of the wealthy and the rich from that area. Guess what his sermon was on? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he said, I want to break off your false dependence, expose false Christianity, and revive you with true Christian faith. From that moment on, she funds his revival initiatives all over the world. And when she begins to realize that churches are needed for gatherings, she starts to fund churches. In fact, 50% of her income was going to kingdom work for preachers and for churches. God uses kingdom-minded people to give to kingdom work. And it's still true today. And I could go example after example, even of people in our own church, individuals, businesses, who have kingdom-minded people that leverage those resources for the kingdom in significant ways. And we never say, you know, this service was brought to you, this retreat was brought to you by this person or that person. There's, they're not looking for that kind of recognition. So we often don't do it. But maybe today it would be appropriate for me to mention a few. Not for com- comparison, but for inspiration. Like th- this year, I've been at Northside 30 years. Even prior to my coming, Empire Printing has been serving Northside generously. Every seat pocket in the seat in front of you, we didn't pay for that. You men, 160 some of you who went to the Kingdom Men Retreat, when we were selling shirts or hats or t-shirts, you're getting some of that stuff, which is helping promote the retreat to others, and you can take that around to wear it to work, wherever, to help show what's going on. We didn't pay for that. But the proceeds from that helped cover the expenses and the cost of the retreat. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars through the years have been given because of kingdom-minded businessmen and women. Or night lawn service, who's given to missions in this church like crazy, given to kids going to camp like crazy. And Tidwell Concrete's done all kinds of concrete projects, including right now in the back where there's this beautiful prayer walk, a park that's being built back here behind the church. There's already a nine-hole disc golf course and prayer walk there. It's expanding as we speak to 18. People from our community are over here every single day playing that thing. Last weekend, 30-some people having a tournament on a Saturday, Friday, 20-some people out there, not counting others. These are people who, who give. Other industries, too, Yarbrough Industries. If you look at risers that pianos and drums sit on up here, manufactured, made, donated by them. Bates Accounting Services, helping us with payroll and all kinds of things as a church. 
You have volunteers that come and work who are expert, experts in their field, whether it's Bruce Beatles or Todd Wickman or, and many others. I mean, I could probably go for a while. But they see what God has given them as an opportunity to give to kingdom work, and it expands the kingdom. Funds going specifically to kingdom work because of what they're doing. Kingdom-minded people, they give to kingdom things. So how do we excel at giving? Let me just mention a few things as we move forward and, and wrap this up. Number one, I would say this, start giving. Start giving. It, it, give something. If you're not giving, just get into it. Just start. Start today. It's kind of like when people talk about exercise and, and those kinds of things, and they talk about, you know, how do you, how do you get started? And so people, they start making a plan. You know, I'm going to make a route, and I'm going to make it up, and I'm going to do have so many days a week, and I'm going to all this stuff. And I think some people just say, just put on your shoes and start walking. Because if you just go out there and walk, then you're going to get done and be like, you know, I should do that again. And the next day you just put on the shoes and just go walk. And you'll start making a plan too. That's important. But it's just, it's just starting, doing it. Giving is kind of the same way. I, I just got to start today just to give something. And, and try to get healthy in your giving that way. Number two is this, strategic giving. Do you have a plan to strategically give? I know, I know for some people, it's, it, the online giving has allowed them to even become more strategic and to give consistently and faithfully. Some, it's reoccurring giving that's been really helpful to them and it's blessed our church as well. For others, they, they don't just give consistently in that way, but they also look for ways to help the kingdom by applying some wise stewardship. Like when they have an appreciated asset, like a stock that appreciates in value and they donate the stock to the church. They don't have to pay taxes on any of it, but they get the tax benefit of that. And so stock donations become a huge way to give. Or people who give their RMDs, their required minimum distributions as they get older, and they start giving that in some way to the church. As people saying, you know what, I'm, I want to add, even if it's a small percentage or whatever it is, but for my living will or trust, I want to see if the church would give from that. We need the Susannas and the Phoebes and the Lady Huntingtons and more Apostle Pauls who know what it looks like to, for the grace of giving. Number three would be this, secret giving. When you give in secret... In other words, sometimes um, some of the best giving is, is you don't get the tax break. You just see a need and you meet it spontaneous, or I should say anonymously. Yeah, some people will leave legacies and want to put a name on a building, but what about those people who just give to someone when they know there's a need and later get the beautiful benefit of, of hearing that person talk about how God performed a miracle in their life, providing for a time when they needed it, and you got to be a part of that story. And you get to hear it, but they don't know it's you. There's nothing more beautiful than that. How about spontaneous giving, spontaneous generosity? Tim Keller said, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. So what if our money flowed to God? What if we made him the priority of our heart? We need people who can say just, Lord, have it all. Have it all, Lord. You don't, you don't have to, you get to. And that's my prayer right now. We're going to have a, a prayer here where I want us just to reflect a little bit on what God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to our hearts. We're going to take just a moment just to hear from Him, and then I'm going to pray. And um, so let's just take a moment and just say, God, I want to hear from you. What are you impressing on me right now? Let's take a moment and listen to Him.
Lord, we want to have the heart of the Father. We want to have the heart of Jesus. We want to be motivated by his grace and by his model, his example. And Lord, today we want to be free from the confines, the bondage, the love of money upon our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we want to excel in this grace of giving. That Lord, you would take our silver and our gold, not a mite would we withhold. Lord, we would see you as the owner of it all. We would give it to you. Lord, we would partner with you in kingdom work. We'd have a whole new economy, which we see kingdom economy, not worldly economy. Lord, where we submit every part of our lives to your lordship and experience the joy and the grace and the blessing that comes when we're surrendered to your will and your purpose for our life, especially in this area that has such a grip on so many. Lord, we we want that grip to be released. We want to experience freedom. And Lord, I just want to pray right now that God, we would give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share with you just a couple uh, next steps because here's one of the things. Uh, sometimes people have the want to, but they don't feel like they have the how to. They want to give to the Lord, but right now they, 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 they're not even making their, their, their mortgage payment or maybe their rent or just they're struggling with some things. Let me give you some tools. And, and this is even for those of us who just want to have a, a, a more biblical, wise approach towards finances and money. Uh, we're going to offer something that's going to begin on Thursday, February 29th. And... Um, It'll probably end on May 2nd or so, but it's, it's a financial peace university class we're, we're offering here at Northside. Derek in our church is going to be leading that. And uh, the cost of that's about 79 bucks. But with that, you get 12 months access to Financial Peace University, a PDF version of a workbook, three months access to premium version of the Every Dollar Budgeting app. So you get a lot for that. And if that's a problem for you, you just need to let us know. But if you have your phone right now want to get more information about and see the link to sign up. It'll be on the Dave Ramsey website for Northside Christian Church to be a, a site. But if you want to scan that QR code with your phone just to get that info, you can do it right now. Just zoom in on your camera on that. Click on that link. It'll take you, take you to the sign up. Our webpage has that if you look on our homepage and also under the resources for Live No Lies on our, on our homepage as well. You'll find this resource. But we're providing this to our church family because we believe that when we apply biblical principles to our finances, uh, it changes our lives. And we just want to give you a chance to get in on this. So uh, Financial Peace University is coming up. Give you a chance for that. I want to remind you, don't forget to go to our website to memorize our verse, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, and to look at the practices for this week. We're, every week, we've got memory verse and practices. The practices will take you through the seven steps to financial freedom. And you're going to see some resources there on our website. So we want you to do that. I also just want to say this. If you want to give today, here's our offering slide right here. It shows you how to do that. Uh, you can give online. You can give through text to give with that information that's on the screen there by texting a dollar amount to that number. You can set up recurring giving through either of those ways. And uh, you can also give at, at the boxes, the black boxes at the back of the room uh, to the side doors as you leave. Uh, all of those are ways that we can give to the Lord today as an act of worship, humbly submitting to Him. I also just want to say that uh, here in a moment, you're going to see a testimony from Brandon and Aaron Parrish. Uh, this is the son and daughter-in-law of Brad and Cora who shared last week in their testimony. And they're going to provide their testimony of just what God's been doing in their life in this area. And, um, and following that testimony, if you want to pray with someone today, our prayer team is going to be on the sides of the room. If, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or take a next step of faith, I'm going to be at decision point to these doors. We'd love to meet with you there. But just allow God right now just to speak to your heart through the story of Brandon and Aaron. Give your attention to the screens.
We are Brandon and Aaron Parrish. Um, I started attending Northside uh, when I was a teenager a long time ago. Um, Aaron and I started attending full-time when we were married roughly 16 years ago. So we both um, grew up in homes that we knew our parents gave to the church. So that set the foundation for us to know that we should give to the church as well. Um, but when we first got married, we had to make some tough decisions about how we were going to spend our money as a couple. It felt hard in the beginning to commit to giving 10% of our finances to God with all our other bills and then our wants as well. Uh, do we have to give 10% before or after taxes? Can I still shop as much as I like? Uh, what kind of car can we buy for our growing family? Those are all questions we wrestled with. But in the end, we always came back to the idea that all we have is God's anyway. And he's commanded us to give us, um, to, for us to give him our first 10%. So while we may not have been as consistent early in our marriage as we are now, uh, thanks online giving, we decided to gather fairly early to live on 90% of whatever we made. There's so many places where you can spend your money. Um, a lot of these things are on what we would call the needs of our daily life, especially nowadays um, with the prices of everything skyrocketing. It's very easy to justify in your own mind giving less to the Lord. Don't get me wrong, it's still hard today, and I still wrestle sometimes with this topic. However, time and time again, the Lord has shown us that being obedient to His Word and tithing on a consistent basis has led to miraculous results. I know that word may sound over-exaggerated um, at first, but several times we have made commitments that we weren't sure about and weren't quite comfortable with. And time and time again, He provides. Many times it's in ways that we couldn't even think of, it's, and it's not just monetary. Uh, one major example for us is during the Building Fund, the Generous Project. We were challenged by others that did videos, which is one reason we agreed to do this video. We were tithing, but the remainder of our money was being used to try to meet some financial goals we were working towards. So when we were challenged to give extra to the church, we originally really didn't want to. It was going to set us back multiple years from meeting some of our goals. But in the end, we decided to put those goals off and give to the Building Fund in addition to our tithe. And it turned out that over the course of those years, we ended up giving what we had committed to the church, and we also met the goals we had set. And we know that that was God blessing us, because at the time we committed our funds, there was no way that could have been possible. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. This topic of tithing, tithing and money is often uncomfortable and awkward, especially in the church. Um, we had that similar uncomfortable feeling when Wayne asked to do this video. But we truly believe that there is no better place to invest your time and our money and that you can live a more fulfilling and fruitful life on 90%. By tithing, we feel a sense of calm and reassurance that God is in control. He can do more with our tithe than we can ever think about achieving on our own. When you think about what Northside alone has done for others in our community and around the world, it's simply amazing, and we feel privileged to be a part of it. We would encourage others to go for it. See what God can do. See what He does through the church using the funds you give, and also see what He does for you personally. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision.
This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.